The following is a production of Phoenix Media. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look! Up in the sky! The bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. Led by Professor Browning, famous radiologist held captive by the foreign agent Dr. Deutsch, Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen found their way into a secret room filled with cases of books, deep in the cavernous heart of Volcano Island. Unable to track them down, Dr. Deutsch has ordered the passageway sealed and the ventilation machinery reversed. Kent, Jimmy, and Professor Browning, unaware of the danger they face, make plans for further investigation of Deutsch's headquarters in an effort to discover the meaning of his master plan. Listen. I don't know, Jimmy. We'll have to take a chance on that. I hope this is our lucky day. You know, there must be thousands of books here in this room. I wonder what Deutsch plans to do with so many books. Look at what somebody's done to this book, Mr. King. Well, there's a square hole cut right through the pages. Same with this one. And this one. Why, they're all like that. Well, you're right, Jimmy. Every one of them is mutilated in the same way. That's odd. Odd, it's amazing. Have you noticed that each one of these holes is exactly the same size? Yes, about two inches square. Cut right through the book, except for ten pages at the beginning and ten at the end. With the book closed, you'd never even guess there was anything peculiar about it. You know, Kent, those little square hollows are perfect hiding places for something small and very valuable. Such as a little lead container filled with radium? Mr. Kent, I think you've got the answer. But why would Deutsch want to hide the radium in books? Why would he want to hide it at all? I don't know, Jimmy, but I believe Deutsch has found a new way to use radium, to unleash the energy in the radium atom. If this is so, he has in his grasp the most powerful destructive force humanity has ever known. Why, the atomic energy in one ounce of radium could blow the United States off the map. And Deutsch is trying to get 12 ounces. What's that? I've heard that motor hum before. They're closing the stone doors leading from this tunnel. Something's up. Gosh, they blow the lights. Yes, we'd better get out while we can. Let's try this door. 
We're locked in. What are we going to do now? Attention, Herr Browning. What's that? It's Deutsch talking on the public address system. Listen. I know you are hiding somewhere off channel number seven. And I'm pleased to inform you that you and your friends are trapped. I have closed all the doors to the tunnel, and now will turn off the ventilator blowers. Soon you will find yourselves without air. Do you follow me? Swine, I didn't think even he was low enough to do anything like this. However, Herr Professor, since I still have need of your services, I am willing to offer you and whoever is with you a chance to live. Under the loudspeakers through which my voice is coming, you will find a push button. If you wish to remain alive, press this button. This will indicate to me which room you are in. I will send for you. You have 30 seconds to choose between life and death. 30 seconds. Oh, wait, Professor. Don't press that button. What else can I do, Kent? There is no choice for myself. I would rather die, but I, I can't sacrifice you and Jimmy. There must be some other way. Let me think. 15 seconds to go, Herr Professor. Ten seconds. I can't stand this, Kent. Let me press the button. No, don't touch it. Get down on the floor. <sighs> what will that accomplish? Do as I say. Get down. You too, Jimmy. Your time is up. I am cutting off the air. Kent, you see? He's going to murder us. Take it easy, Professor. And keep low. The air will be fresher near the floor. What's that hum, Mr. Kent? Sounds like a ventilator blower. It is. But Deutsch probably has it running in reverse. Drawing the good air off. It's getting close already. You all right, Jimmy? I don't know. My head feels light. Kent, you should have let me let me press the button. No air now. We are suffocating. Can't breathe. Kent. Kent. Uh, he's out. I wonder how long Jimmy can take it. Jimmy. Jimmy. Uh, out too. Good. Now I can get to work as Superman. I'll have that door broken down in a moment. Here goes. What's that? Sounds like a dog barking. What? Coming from under the floor. It must be Storm. Here now. Right under this pile of books. Just clear them away. Must be an opening of some sort here. Yes, here it is. Trap door. Here's the handle. One good pull should tear that loose. Now. There we are. Storm. Storm. It's an abandoned passageway. Now to get the professor and Jimmy out of here. Better not let them see me as Superman. Jimmy. Come on, Jimmy. Wake up. Uh, what, what's happened? He fell asleep when the air went bad. Take a few deep breaths now. Gosh, it was good. I remember now. Deutsch turned the air off. Did he turn it on again? No, Jimmy. I found a way out. A trap door. And guess who led me to it? Storm. I heard him whining under the floor. Oh, good old Storm. Where is he? In a narrow passageway under the trap door. Come on now, give me a hand with the professor. Okay. I'll take his shoulders. Sure is out cold. Yeah. Now, hold him here, Jimmy. I'll drop into the passageway, then you slide him down to me, will you? Mm-hmm. Here I go. All right, now. Let him down easy. Easy, Jimmy. Get a good grip on him. All right, I got it. Okay, Jimmy. Let yourself down now. Hang on the edge and then let go. I'll catch you. Here I come. Look out. There you are. Oh, boy. Sure feels good to get out of that plane. Yeah. Professor. Professor, you all right? I... I think so, Ken. Oh, good. 
Now, this tunnel must be an abandoned entrance. Or maybe an emergency exit for Deutsch. Look, Mr. Kent. Yes? You can see the beach and the ocean from here. Sure, Jimmy. It certainly looks good. Yes, but uh, how did we get here? Uh, no time for explanations, Professor. Now, you stay here with Jimmy and Storm. I'm going back into the tunnel and look around. There must be an entrance to the main passage through this corridor. Mr. Kent, please don't go back in there. You'll get caught. Now, don't you worry, Jimmy. I'll be careful. You wait here for me. To sneak up on my friend Deutsch as Superman. Get some more information. Should be a passage linking up with Deutsch's private office. Ah, there's that ladder I noticed on our way out. I'll see what it leads to. Hmm. This is a short corridor. Dead end on both sides. Oh. Wait. Voice. Coming through this door, set into the side of the passage. Yes, and familiar voices. Deutsch and Hans. Getting late now. See if you can't take contact with the other wavelength. I will try, Herr Doctor. Ah, ahead. Here. Are the earphones, Herr Doctor? Quickly, give them to me. This should be interesting. Hello? Hello? Ah, this is Deutsch. Yeah, yeah. Good. Now listen closely. You are to have to go ten miles out to sea due west of the coast. I will be two men on board, so there will be no suspicion. We will dispatch a radio control seat plane immediately with a shipment of books. And? Perfect. Right. Now quickly, Harry. Go to the hangar upstairs and load the plane for a takeoff immediately. Stand up. Yeah, well, Herr Doctor. I go. Fire two shots when you're ready for me to send off the plane. Yeah, Herr Doctor. So, the hangar is upstairs, eh? Hmm. Oh, yes. See, a ladder leads up from here. Well, here's where we get off this island on that plane and kill two birds with one stone. Professor? Jimmy? Yes, sir. What's up, Kent? Any luck, Mr. Kent? You bet. They're loading up a radio-controlled plane for a takeoff, and we're going to be in it. Well, come on, now. Follow me. Gosh, Mr. Kent, where's it going? We'll meet a boat offshore. All right. Here's the iron ladder. Now, you go first, Professor. And then you, Jimmy. Be careful. All right, go ahead. That's it. Up you go. Come coming away, Jimmy. Now, here we are. There's the door over there. Now, be very quiet. I'm going to open it very gently. Here, Jimmy. Look through the crack. What do you see? Jiminy, Mr. Kent. A man is getting ready to load some books into a plane. He's alone. Yes. It's Hans. Mr. Kent, look at that cliff wall. It's open like a huge door. Yes, the same opening we saw the plane disappear into when we landed on the island. All right, now. When I count three, we make a dash for it. Overpower Hans and pile onto that ship. Okay, I'm with you. I hope we make it. Ready now? One, two... Hey! That takes care of our friend Hans. Get into the plane, Jimmy. All right, get in, Professor. Mr. Kent, he's conscious. Look out, he's going to shoot. There, that'll fix you. All right, come on, into the plane. I, quick. I can't, Kent. I, I can't. The I... Professor, he's wounded. All right, quick, Jimmy. I'll carry the Professor. Hurry. All right, now. Slam the door. 
Corporal Kent and Jimmy find when the radio-controlled plane comes to rest near the boat. Whose boat is it? And why is Joyce shipping the strange books away from Volcano Island? There are thrills ahead, thrills and excitement. Be sure to listen in. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Ooh, yeah, we do something right here, aha! Uh-huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah! With an exclusive loot on surprises delivered to your door every month! Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy! <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude! Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box! Woohoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as large as eleven ninety nine per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's f-e-n-i-x media dot u-s forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look, up in the sky! It's a bird, it's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. Roaring out to sea in one of Dr. Deutsch's radio-controlled seaplanes, Clark Kent, Jimmy, and Jimmy's dog, Storm, have finally managed to escape from mysterious Volcano Island. Professor Browning, whom Deutsch had brutally forced to operate his radium plant, is in the plane with them, almost unconscious from the bullet wound he received during the struggle for possession of the plane. The plane they are on is headed for a boat waiting ten miles off the coast, a boat mysteriously ordered by Deutsch. As the giant ship hurtles through the sky, Kent wonders what will be waiting for them. Listen. Gosh, Mr. Kent, it'll be dark soon, and we've been flying a long time. Do you think we're almost there? I think so, Jimmy. You'd better go back into the rear compartment and see how the professor's getting along. I'll watch for the boat. Okay, Mr. Kent. Professor Bryan seems awfully restless, talking and mumbling in his sleep. Well, he's had a tough time of it. I hope we can get him to the mainland soon. Too bad we can't even make the professor comfortable. There aren't even enough seats in this ship. Well, this is a cargo plane. It's not designed to carry passengers. Deutsch probably never used it for anything but ship as radium. Twelve ounces? I could carry that in my pocket. Oh, no, you couldn't. Radium is packed in quarter grams. You know, it's powerful stuff. It can only be carried in lead cylinders, and if Deutsch put one cylinder in a book, well, that makes a lot of books. I wonder why Deutsch hasn't turned this plane around, Mr. Kent. 
Hans must have gotten to him by this time. Mm-hmm. It'd be a simple matter for him to turn it around and bring it back to the island. Gosh, why hasn't he done it? I'm not sure. But I've been thinking about that, even though I didn't mention it to you. And I've got a hunch he's radioed the boat to take care of us when we land. What do we do, Mr. Kent? I don't know yet, Jim. We just have to sit tight and trust the luck. Oh. What is it, Storm? Oh, look, Mr. Kent. The professor's up. Professor! You're wounded. Lie down. Yeah. Leave me alone, Dyke. Leave me alone. Radium. Pounds of it. That's what you want. Pounds of radium. Professor! Don't touch me, Dyke. Don't. Please, Professor, lie down. Dungeon. Must get out. Gotta. Mr. Kent. He collapsed. Stay here, Jimmy. Hold Storm, will you? How is he, Mr. Kent? Well, he's, he's not suffering anymore. You mean... Yes, Jim. It's better that way. Much better. Poor old man. I kind of liked him. Yes, so did I. What's that down below? The lights of a boat. Is that the one? Oh, must be. We're starting to slow down and circle for a landing. Well, now for the fireworks. Do you think they know we're on this plane? Can't tell yet. We'll find out in a few minutes. What do we do? Give them a good fight? No, Jimmy. Let them take us aboard. Maybe they'll sail us to the mainland. Then we'll have half a chance anyway. All right, brace yourself, Jimmy. We'll hit the water any minute. Okay. Come here, Storm. Let me hold you. Look. Two men are pulling away from the boat in the dinghy. Must be members of the crew, Jimmy. Gee, sure are tough-looking birds. Uh, don't you worry. They don't know we're on board. We've got to jump on them. If both hands and dirt have warned them to expect it? Somehow I don't think so, Jim. The moon is bright enough so I can see from here they're not armed. If they're expecting to find anything except a cargo full of radium-loaded books, they carry guns. Yeah, I hope you're right. All right, now listen carefully, Jimmy. We'll hide in this compartment in the tail of the plane. As soon as they both get in, we'll rush them. All right, come on now. Out of this compartment. All right, keep it steady, Joe, while I climb up on the wing. I'll hand the stuff over to you. Okay. I got it. Come on, lover. Hey, something's fishy. What do you mean? The plane's clean empty. Ah, go on, you bet. All right, come up and see for yourself, wise guy. Well, I'll be... Hey, this don't make sense. It's supposed to be a load of books, huh? Sure, me? same as the other times. It sounds like a dog. Now, here he comes. Take a minute, Pete, Billy. Hey, don't you kick him. Look, it's a kid and a big guy. All right, yeah. try and stop this one, mister. Oh, get him. Look out behind you, Mr. Kent. That'll hold you for a while. Gosh, Mr. Kent, you've knocked them both cold. Did I? Well, I, I guess they both stepped right into my wild punches. All right, come on, Jimmy. Help me load up into the dinghy. I'll get in first. All right. All right, Jimmy. Roll him over. Okay, I've got it. The next one. Had it. There now. Okay, come on, Jimmy. Jump for it. Storm's here with me. Here I come. boy. Gosh, Mr. Kent, you're almost as strong as Superman. Oh, nonsense, Jimmy. Here, quickly, give me the oars. Here they are. Good thing it's dark. Maybe we'll be able to get on board without the rest of the crew seeing us. Where are we? Take it easy. You're aboard your boat. Who are you, anyway? How'd you two get on that plane? That's none of your business. Now, just remember this. From now on, I'm running things, and you're taking orders from me. That's what you think. We take our orders from the boss and nobody else, see? 
Who is your boss? Don't tell him, Joe. What do you take me for, Sep? I ain't telling him nothing. Well, the only thing to do is turn you two specimens over to the police. They'll make you talk. We ain't done nothing. Ever hear of Dr. Deutsch? Who? Dr. Deutsch. Never heard of him. Me neither. Ask them why they brought the boat out here, Mr. You King. keep your nose out of this, kid. Yeah. Why did you bring your boat to this spot? Because we like to ride on the ocean, that's why. Sure, we like to breathe it. Well, I can see we're wasting time. Get up on your feet, both of you. I said get up on your feet. Okay, I'll get you up. No, you're breaking my arm. Okay, okay. That's better. Now, pay attention. This boat must have a shortwave sending set. Where is it? We got one, but it's on a blink. If it wasn't, mister, the boss would have told us to meet you with bullets. Shut up, Bill. I see. Where is the radio? In a deck house, but it won't do you no good. I'll find that out for myself. Jimmy? Yes, Mr. Kent? Hand me that length of rope. This one? That's it. Now, turn around, you two. Did you hear what I said, or do I have to demonstrate? All right, all right. You don't have to get tough. Hold your hands behind your backs. That's right. Now, a few turns of this rope around your wrist. Take it easy. A couple of good knocks. Why, well, it's going to be safe for a while. Tied together like Siamese twins. You won't talk so big when a boss hears about this. Oh, you have no idea how anxious I am to meet your boss face to face. Yeah. But in the meantime, we'll have to content ourselves with your company. Now, March. Where are you taking them, Mr. Kent? We'll dump them in the stern compartment for the time being. I want to see whether I can get that radio working. If not, we'll run the boat to the naval base. What about poor Professor Browning on the plane? I'll take care of that. Don't worry, Jimmy. He'll get a decent burial. All right, start walking, gentlemen. And don't try any funny work. Through the deck house and into the stern compartment. I guess it's all right to leave Storm out here, isn't it, Mr. Kent? Fast asleep over by the rail. Oh, sure, he'll be all right. All right, here we are. Open that door to the stern compartment, Jimmy. Ah, this looks comfortable enough. Step inside. Now, remember, both of you, don't get any bright ideas or you're liable to wind up with very bad headaches. I'll see you later. Now, Jimmy, let's see about that shortwave set. I bet they were lying. I bet it worked. I don't think so, Jim. If it worked, Deutsch would have contacted them to tell them we were on our way. Now, here it is. Let's see now. This must be the power switch. There's a hum. Does that mean it worked? Well, it means there's power, but the sending apparatus may be out of order. Is that tube lit? No, I don't think so. But this one is. Well, four of them are lit, the two aren't. That's the trouble, I guess. Well, then we can't send a message to the naval base, huh? I don't know. We may be able to send and not receive. I'll try it anyway. Calling the naval base. Calling the naval base. Come in, please. Anything doing? Oh, yes. Calling the naval base. Calling the naval base. Come in. Come in, please. Calling the naval base. Unable to determine whether or not his voice is going out over the airwaves, Clark Kent repeats the call again and again. Meanwhile, in the stern compartment, the two members of the boat's crew speak in low, hushed voices. We've got to get off of this tub, Bill. We don't want to get tossed in a clink. Yeah, but how are we going to get off? Through the stern hatch. You don't know about it. You crazy? What are we going to do? Swim with our hands tied? Not me. So loud. We ain't going to swim. We'll get out with a stern hat, sneak up to the deck house, and cock up. With our hands tied, I suppose. Our hands won't be tied, dope. Now stand close to me. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Slip your fingers into my back pocket. Okay? A knife. You got it? Open it up. Okay. She's open. Back up to me. I'll cut the rope. <laughs> Good thing this knife is sharp. <laughs> okay, you're free. Now get me loose, will you? <laughs> that's it. Uh... 
will fix that mug, whoever he is. Hey, wait a minute. Listen, Joe, I ain't so keen on tangling with him. Not without guns. And they're in the deck house. Anyway, remember what we got told? If anything happens, get rid of the boat, remember? Yeah, so what? Well, maybe we better get rid of it. What about us? We can scram in the dinghy. There ain't no sea running. We can make sure easy. Oh, we get the dinghy off the stem. Easy. It's pitch dark now. He won't see us. All right. But what do we do about the boat? Got it? Nah, it takes too long. Hey, wait a minute. What are you doing? There's some cotton waste and a gallon of kerosene. We'll douse it and set fire to it. It's a good idea, but make it fast. <laughs> Spread it around good, Bill. Okay. Okay. Why will this tub go up? Now stand back, Bill. We're gonna light this match. Already? Let it go. Right. Fire at sea. Orange tongues of flame leaping from the stern compartment and eating their deadly way slowly but surely to the gas tanks on either side of the boat. Will Clark Kent and Jimmy discover the fire in time? Or will it get beyond control and blow the boat into a thousand pieces? What will happen? Don't forget. Tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman! Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look, up in the sky! It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, raise a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. When we last saw Clark Kent, he and young Jimmy Olsen were aboard a small motor cruiser ten miles offshore. The boat, somehow connected with the espionage activities of Dr. Deutsch and his ring of foreign agents, was being run by two men whom Kent overpowered and tied up in the stern compartment. At the moment, Kent and Jimmy are trying to reach the naval base over the boat's shortwave sending set, unaware that the two men have gotten loose and are about to set the boat on fire and make their escape in a dinghy. Listen. Calling the naval base. Calling the naval base. Come in, please. I guess it's not working. Those two guys said it was on the blink. Yeah, I'm afraid they were right, Jimmy. We're getting power, but I don't think our signal's going out. Well, might as well turn it off. No sense wasting battery. Now what, Mr. King? Are we going to run the boat into the naval base? I'm wondering, Jimmy. Those two birds we've got on the stern compartment said they only took orders from their boss. I'd like very much to find out who their boss is. Oh, Dr. Deutsch. He's the head of the espionage ring, isn't he? I don't think they were referring to Deutsch. I have a feeling there's one important member of this gang we haven't bumped into yet. I don't remember whether I told you or not, but Deutsch and Hans made good their escape from the naval base after we captured them on the Grayson submarine because of a forged order. Oh, I remember that. Someone forged Commander Leeds' name. That's right. 
And now that someone must have been at the naval base at the time, working hand in hand with Deutsch. You think maybe he's the boss those two guys meant? I wouldn't be a bit surprised. So it might be a good plan to just sit here and wait for the boss to show up. Well, what makes you think he'll do that, Mr. Kent? Gosh, we could be floating out here in the ocean for days. Well, let's see if we can reason it out logically. This much we know. Volcano Island has the largest deposits of radium-producing ore in the world. And Deutsch and his men are mining it as fast as they can. And he's been shipping the radium off the island, hidden in books. And that's how we got to this boat. In the radio control plane that was supposed to be carrying some of the books. Exactly. That plane we were in was supposed to be carrying radium to this boat. But why? Gee, I don't know. There must be a reason. Obviously, Deutsch wanted the radium transported to another place. Oh, why didn't he just send the plane to that place? Ah, now we're coming to it. Because it's probably a place where either the plane can't land... Or where the police might get suspicious if they saw it. Say. For example, a city like Metropolis. Imagine the crowds that would gather if a radio-controlled plane dropped out of the sky and taxied into the Metropolis airport. I get what you're driving at, Mr. Ken. Deutsch was just transferring the radium to this boat, and then this boat would dock someplace, and then the radium would be picked out. Jimmy, you have all the makings of a good Sherlock Holmes. Now, can you see why it might be wise for us to sit tight and wait? Oh, sure. This boat doesn't come into shore and dock soon. The boss, whoever he is, is going to come out and look for it. That's a bullseye, Jimmy. Yes, but there's only one thing. What? Aren't we liable to drift out to sea or something? Oh, I don't think so. There's no wind and very little tide. I've been keeping an eye on the compass. What's that? What? The plane! The one we came in! Look! It's rising from the water! Which is using the radio control to bring it back to Volcano Island. Mr. Kent, we've got to stop it. Professor Browning's body is in the cabin. We can't stop it now, Jimmy. Even if we could, I don't think it would be wise. I want Deutsch to believe we're being held on this boat. That'll make him careless and easy to lay our hands on. There's nothing we can do for Professor Browning now. I guess you're right. Oh, look, Mr. Kent, here's Storm. The plane motor must have wakened him. Hiya, my. He's the whimperingest dog I ever came across, Jimmy. <laughs> I think he's got a perpetual stomachache. What's the matter, Storm? What is it, old fella? Look at him, Mr. Kent. He's sniffing around the deckhouse. Must be something there he doesn't like. Well, that's too bad. We'll get him a 30-room mansion with hot and cold running water. No, I'm not kidding, Mr. Kent. He just barked at the door leading to the stern compartment. Do you think maybe those two guys are up to something? Not the way I tied them up. Well, I'm going to take a look. All right, Storm. Now, stop barking. I'll open the door. Mr. Kent, the boat's on fire. Great Scott, slam the door. What do we do, Mr. Kent? What do we do? Don't lose your head now, Jimmy. But we're burning up ten miles from shore. Take Storm and go up to the front of the boat. I'll put the fire out. How? With an extinguisher. Now, do as I say. Hurry. Did you see that fire? The whole cabin's in flames. Don't stand there discussing it with me. Take your dog and go up front and stay there until I come for you. Now, go on. All right, but it looks bad. Come on, Storm. Just keep calm, Jimmy. We'll get out of this. Gosh, I hope so. I'll turn out this deckhouse light so he can't see me from the bow. <sighs> he was plenty right. No extinguisher could stop that fire. But Superman can. Now, let's see what it looks like. Oh, it's a blazing inferno. How did it ever get so far without our noticing it? Well, it's got to be stopped before it reaches the gas tanks and blows us sky high. Here goes. Oh, never felt anything so hot. Like the inside of a furnace. Good thing this cape is fireproof. I can use it to smother the flames. There, that does the trick. Part of it's out. Now to tackle the rest. No, wait. It's burning beneath the floor. Right near the gas tanks. I hope I'm not too late. I hope I... 
A tongue of flame leaping high into the darkness, a thunderous explosion, and the boat rises from the sea like a thing alive, hangs suspended for a moment, and then bursts into a thousand glowing fragments that drop back into the water, hissing like snakes. Uninjured even by the deadly force of the explosion, Superman swims through a white-hot pool of flaming gasoline, his keen eyes scanning the floating debris. His only thought, the safety of young Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy! Jimmy! Where are you, Jimmy? If he's lost, I'll never forgive myself. Jimmy! Jimmy! No human could live in this burning gas. There's only one slim chance. The explosion hurled him clear of the gasoline. Jimmy! Jimmy! Oh, for the first time since I've been on Earth, I'm helpless. I don't know what to do, where to look. Jimmy! Jimmy! He's gone. Gone. No, wait. What's that floating over there near the cushion? It can't be. Yes, it is. It's Jimmy. Hold on, boy. There. I've got you, Jimmy. Ah, just relax. You're safe now. Yes, I know, but you're all right. What happened? Poor Mr. King. He's all right, too, Jimmy. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, poor kid. All he was worried about was me. I don't think he's been hurt much, but I'd better get him on dry land. Up! Up! And away! Certainly is good to know that he's safe. I never expected to see him again. How he ever escaped serious injury is a miracle. Ah, there's the shoreline below. I'll just land and give him a chance to come to. Down! Down! There. That's better. Now to bring him around as Clark Kent. Jimmy! Oh, Atta boy, wake up. Oh, poor Mr. Kent. Hey, wait a minute, young fella. What do you mean, poor Mr. Kent? What makes you think I'm poor? Explosion. Mr. Ken was in the... Ex- oh, What's the matter, Jimmy? Well, you, you didn't get exploded. What? When the boat... You didn't... Oh, gosh, Mr. Kent, it blew up, but <laughs> whoa, you didn't... Oh, now, whoa, take it easy. You're talking Greek. Oh, Mr. Kent, I'm so glad to see you in one piece. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Oh, how'd you escape? When the boat exploded, you were right in the middle of it. I can't believe my eyes. I guess we were both born under lucky stars, Jimmy. How do you feel? Oh, a little groggy, but I'm okay. What happened? Well, the fire must have gotten to the gas tanks and they blew up. I found myself floating in the water right next to you. I remember now. Someone talked to me. It must have been you. Uh-huh. How did we get here on shore? Well, I swam in with you. You're not very heavy. You mean you swam ten miles carrying me? Well, it didn't seem like ten miles. Gee, Mr. Kent, you're a superman. Oh, just a poor imitation, Jim. Well, now the question is, where do we go from here? I haven't had a chance to look around to find out where we are. Say... You know something? What? Look at the shoreline of this cove. Doesn't it look familiar? Not to me. Look over there to my left. See that cliff that juts out into the water? Yes. What's on that cliff? A house. Oh, I know where we are. That's the big house Dr. Deutsch was using as a hideout. And this is the cove where he had his radio-controlled plane anchored. The plane I got into. That's right. It sure is a coincidence that we happen to get back here. Not so much of a coincidence now that I think about it. That boat was told to be ten miles west of this cove. Well, now that we know where we are, I guess we'd better hike to the main road and thumb a ride into town. And no sense sitting here. You think you can make it? Sure, I can. Wait a minute. What? Where's Storm? Your dog? I'm afraid he was lost, Jimmy. You mean out there in the ocean? I'm afraid so. Gosh, that makes me feel awful. He's an awful funny-looking dog, Mr. Kent, but he was smart. 
He warned us about the fire. Yes, he did. Now, oh, don't think about it, Jim. I'll get you another dog. That isn't that, Mr. Kent. Just that it doesn't seem fair. Storm wasn't much of a dog, but he never hurt anybody. He's a nice mutt. All he wanted was someone to pat him once in a while. I know, Jim. Now, shall we go now? I've got a long walk. All right. Wait. Hold it, Jimmy. What's the matter? Just saw the headlights of a car coming along the dirt road through the woods. It stopped. Get down behind this bush. Shh. Think it's someone important? I don't know, but anyone coming down to this deserted cove at night deserves to be looked over. Maybe it's one of Deutsch's gang. That's allowed. Whoever it is is coming down to the shore. I'll keep low. It's a man. Yeah. Yeah, he's got something hidden in the bushes right at the water. What is it, Mr. Kent? Can't see it yet. He's dragging it out. It's a speedboat. Be quiet. Gosh, Mr. Kent. I'll bet he's the boss. And I'll bet he's going out to look for the big boat. I'm going to grab him, Jimmy. Now, you stay here and don't make a sound. I'll crawl up on him and get him before he knows what's happened. Now, don't move a muscle. Here I go. Who is the night prowler about to set out in the speedboat? Can Jimmy be right? Is he the boss? Clark Kent doesn't know it, but he's in for the surprise of his life. And so will you be when you listen in next time. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look, up in the sky! It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings of a single bound, trace a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. In an attempt to round up a gang of espionage agents led by Dr. Deutsch, and to discover the details of Deutsch's master plan to rule the world, Clark Kent and young Jimmy Olsen have had some hair-raising adventures. At the moment, we find them on the shore of a cove near the espionage gang's former hideout. They're crouched behind a bush, watching a man pulling a speedboat out of the concealing rushes at the water's edge. Cautioning Jimmy to keep low and not make a sound, Kent crawls through the darkness toward the speedboat. Unaware that he's being observed, the mysterious man removes the protective canvas from the speedboat and is about to step into it and cast off when Kent leaps at him. Oh, no, you don't. This should quiet you. (sighs) It did. Okay, Jimmy. Gosh, you sure popped him, Mr. Kent. Who is he? Get that flashlight he dropped and shine it in his face. Okay, I hope it still works. There you are, right in his face. Great Scott. What's the matter, Mr. Kent? Why, it's Lewis, the Secret Service man. Who? Lewis, the Secret Service man attached to the naval base. I thought Deutsch had gotten rid of him. Get this handkerchief in the water, Jimmy, and we'll try and bring him to. All right. Here you are. Thanks. I could have sworn Lewis was dead. When did you see him last, Mr. Kent? Almost a week ago. Don't you remember he called for me at the Daily Planet office to drive me to the naval base? Oh, that's right. And then neither of you showed up at the base. We stopped off to take a look at Deutsch's hideout up on the cliff. And the caretaker of the house told us 
Deutsch was operating from a shack back there in the woods. Lewis and I sneaked up on the shack, and there were some shots, and that was the last I saw of him. Oh, he's coming to me. Yeah. Boy, look at that lump on his jaw. Put the handkerchief again, Jimmy, will you? Okay. Oh. What do you think he was doing down here at this time of night, Mr. Ken? Thanks. I don't know, Jimmy. Oh, what hit me? I'm afraid I did, Lewis. Prop the light up on that piece of driftwood, Jimmy, so he can see us. Okay. That's fine. Kent. Hello, Lewis. Kent, what are you doing here? I suppose I could ask the same question. I'd given you up for dead. Uh, I came pretty close to cashing in, Kent. That night we rushed Deutsch's shack. I stopped a bullet, but I managed to crawl into the woods before they could find me. That was less than a week ago. How was it you're up and around? Well, it was just a flesh wound, and it healed fast. But what about you? Do you realize the police of five states are trying to locate you? What in heaven's name are you doing here? And who's this boy with you? Oh, I'm sorry. This is Jimmy Olson, our head copy boy on the paper. I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Lewis. Hello, Jimmy. Now, Kent, please unravel this thing for me. I don't mind the wallop you gave me, despite the fact that I'll feel it for days. But I must know how you happen to be here. That's a long story, Lewis. Suppose you tell me yours first. Why the uh, midnight trip in a hidden speedboat? Well, you see, we got a report that one of Deutsch's boats was laying ten miles offshore. And I was going out to investigate. Did you hear that, Mr. Kent? Well, do you know something about the boat? Oh, I know something. Oh, we were on it. It blew up Just right... a minute, Jimmy. Did you plan to go out after that boat alone, Lewis? Oh, of course not. Two Coast Guard cutters are looking for it now. I was going to join them. And they won't find it. Because it blew up about 20 minutes ago. Blew up? But, but the boy said you were on board. We were. Kent, this doesn't make sense. If you were on the boat and it blew up ten miles offshore, how did you and the boy reach land? We were very lucky. What were you doing on the boat in the first place? Well, you see, Lewis, I've learned a lot about our friend Dr. Deutz since I last saw you. He's operating from a place called Volcano Island, some 500 miles out to sea. What's he doing there? Mining radium. Radium? That's right. He needs 12 ounces of radium to work his so-called master plan. Jimmy and I were on the island, and we escaped in a plane that was supposed to be carrying radium concealed in books to this boat you're talking about. There were two men on the boat. We overpowered them and tied them up in the stern compartment. They kept talking about their boss, so we decided to hang around and see whether the boss would eventually show up. Oh, you mean Dr. Deutsch? Oh, no. No, not Deutsch. There's another boss. Who? Well, to make a long story short, our two prisoners got loose, set the boat on fire, and escaped in a dinghy. Before I could stop the fire, it reached the gas tanks, and she blew up. Fortunately, both Jimmy and myself were thrown clear, and we swam to shore. Is Deutsch still on this volcano island? That's where we left him, together with his gang. Oh, then all we have to do is surround the island and get them. Oh, no, it isn't as easy as all that. The dead volcano on the island has been carved into a labyrinth of tunnels and rooms. They could hold out for months. Not against aerial bombs. We could blow it off the face of the earth. I'd rather not see that done, Lewis. In the first place, the Fitchblend mines on the island are the best source of radium in the world. Since radium is such a powerful weapon against so many human diseases, well, it would be a crime to destroy them. In the second place, Deutsch and his men should be captured alive and made to stand trial so that the world will realize that we, here in America, refuse to tolerate dictators. Uh, perhaps you're right. Well, what do you suggest? I've been thinking of how to trick Deutsch into revealing his master plan before he's captured, but it means going back to the island. I'll go with you, Kent. Oh, gosh, don't leave me out. I'm afraid you'll have to be left out, Jimmy. This is dangerous business. Oh, please, Mr. Kent. I've been in on it all along and nothing happened to me. Well, we can't count on miracles, Jim. Oh, gee, that's not fair. I think we'd better get going, Kent. Right. I'll have to arrange for a seaplane, and that may take some time. Uh, my car's parked on the road. 
Well, I've got to get to a phone and call Mr. White at the office. He must have given us up for lost. Oh, please, Mr. Kent. Couldn't I go along with you, please? Well, I think you've had enough excitement to last you a long time, Jim. I won't bother you. Honest, I won't. Uh, here's the car. Hop in. Okay. Please, Mr. Kent. No, Jimmy. Perry White speaking. Mr. White, this is Clark Kent. Kent? Well, where in the name of heaven are you? In a drugstore telephone booth. I just called to tell you that Jimmy and I are all right. Well, it's about time. Where have you been? Well, it's a long story, Mr. White. Then you'd better come in and write it. That's what we're paying you for, to write stories, not to vanish for five days. If you're not in this office in 30 minutes, you're fired. Now, wait a minute, Mr. White. You don't understand. All I understand is that you've kept me up day and night worrying about you. But, Mr. White, I've located Dr. Deutsch. Huh? What? He's on an island. Lewis, the Secret Service man, is arranging for a seaplane to take us both to the island immediately. That's what you think. Mr. White, it'll be a tremendous scoop for the Daily Planet if we catch Deutsch. I don't care about the scoop. There's something a lot more important on my mind. You don't understand, Mr. White. Then I'll tell you. I have something personal to settle with Do- Rat Deutsch. I'm going along with you. But, but you can't. Oh, is that so? Well, if I don't go, you don't go. And that's final. Okay. But dangerous. Listen, you young pup. I was mixed up in dangerous things before you cut your first two. Where's the seaplane? Municipal base. I'll be there in ten minutes. And you wait for me. Goodbye. O'Brien. Yes, sir. Call Lois Lane to Naval Base. Tell her we've located Kent and Jimmy Olsen. She'll tell Commander Lee. I'm going out and I don't know when I'll be back. Yes, sir. Sometimes you amaze me. It's perfectly all right to take this young whippersnapper to an island 500 miles out to sea, but you argue with me over the phone about my going along. Well, Jimmy was supposed to stay behind, but <laughs> made such a fuss I had to take him. Oh, he did, did he? Well, how can I ever learn to be a reporter if I don't cover stories, Mr. White? I'll cover you with a good leather strap. Reporter. Everything all right, Lewis? Yes, perfect. I'm following the course you gave me. We should be sighting the island soon. You certainly handle a plane like a veteran. I should, with better than 5,000 hours of flying to my credit. Where do we land? On the island? <laughs> this is a seaplane, Mr. White. It can only land on water. I don't need you to tell me where a seaplane can land. Well, I'm sorry. Kent. Yes? What are those lights up ahead? You see? One red, one green. Where? Just up ahead there. Oh, oh yes. Those must be the channel markers near the island. Yeah, that's what they are. Keep clear of them. They marked the reef. All right. Yeah, I can see the west side of the island now, almost below us. Yes, yes, I see it. Water's deep there. We can land and taxi right up to the beach. How do you know the water's deep? Well, I can tell from the color of it. We're lucky to the moon. Yes, very lucky. Now, hold on. Here we go. brought that plane in perfectly, Lewis. I never thought we'd get close enough to be able to wade into shore. You all right, Jimmy? You, Mr. White? Oh, sure. Well, I'm a little wet, but that doesn't matter. Now what? I was thinking, Kent, that since you know the island, maybe you'd better go on ahead and see whether everything's clear. Good idea. Uh, you have a gun on you? Yes. All right. In case anyone discovers you before I return, fire one shot. Okay. Yeah? Do you think it's wise to go on alone, unarmed? 
Why not take Lewis with you? Jimmy and I can wait here. I, um, I wouldn't want to leave you and the boy alone, Mr. White. Kent can take care of himself. Of course I can. Chances are everyone on the island's asleep. I don't see any lights. Well, I'll just look around and come back. Just you sit tight and don't worry. I don't like him going off on his own. Oh, it doesn't bother Mr. Kent. Nobody asked your opinion. Why didn't you go along with him, Lewis? You're the only one carrying a gun. For two reasons, Mr. White. Number one, I've got something else to do. Number two, I need the gun for you and our young friend here. Put your hands up, both of you. What? What's the meaning of this, Put Lewis? Put your hands up. That's better. This is your idea of a joke, Lewis. This isn't a joke, Mr. White. Far from it. You and little Jimmy have stepped into a trap. A trap that has already swallowed your bright reporter, Clark Kent. Now, take a good look at the sky, because it's the last time either of you will see it. All set? Start walking in that direction. Go ahead. Dazed, Jimmy and Mr. White follow Lewis' instructions to the point of a gun, unable to fathom this strange turn of events. What is the answer to it? Why has the Secret Service man suddenly turned on his friends? Don't forget to tune in next time for the thrilling conclusion to the story of espionage on Volcano Island. Don't forget... Tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. In a daring attempt to round up the espionage gang headed by Dr. Deutsch, and extract from Deutsch the details of his so-called master plan, 
Clark Kent, Editor Perry White, Young Jimmy Olsen, and Lewis, the Secret Service man, flew to the gang's headquarters on Volcano Island. Wading ashore from the seaplane on which they had arrived, Kent went on ahead to see whether the coast was clear. The moment he vanished into the darkness, Lewis pointed his revolver at Perry White and Jimmy and forced them to enter one of the many tunnels carved through the solid rock of the extinct volcano. Dazed at this sudden amazing turn of events, we find them at gunpoint walking through a dimly lit passageway, their footsteps echoing against the damp wall. You weren't a Secret Service man at all, Lewis. You're a spy. Shut up. Stop here. Now, when I press this buzzer, the stone door will swing open. There we are. Step inside. I said step inside, Mr. White. Yes. Welcome to Volcano Island, Herr White. Go ahead. Good work, Max. Excellent work. You have Kent here, Doctor? Hans is waiting for him with ten men. Come in, Herr White. Are we not old friends? Deutsch. Your friends live in sewers and only come out at night. They're called rats. Oh, those are very unkind words, but I forgive you. I will close the door so that we will have more privacy. You had no difficulty, Max? Oh, none at all, Herr Doctor. I would have brought the Lane girl, too, but she's at the naval base. Oh, she is of small importance now. So, this is the boy who has been giving us so much trouble. What's your name? It's none of your business. He marks how he mimics his elders. Already he has learned to be insolent. We will fix that, eh? And the boy isn't responsible here, Doctor. Responsible or not, he knows too much. He knows enough to despise your kind of human being, Deutsch. That much I can promise you. Go right ahead, Herr White. You have something more to say? Nothing I might say would have any effect on you. It is good that you realize that. All my life, Deutsch, I fought against armed warfare. Against the needless killing of men. But if it's the only way the decent, self-respecting part of humanity can get rid of you and your henchmen... I'll carry a gun myself. A very pretty speech, eh, Max? But so stupid. <laughs> they all talk that way. They call it democracy. Yes, we call it democracy, and we're proud of it. Enough. We've had enough from you. You're going to get more, whether you like it or not. I said we've had enough. You'll both be thankful for democracy once you're caught. We won't stand you up against a wall and shoot you down. We'll give you a fair trial before a jury. Of... Why don't? Hold your tongue. We'll even give you a lawyer to plead your case. That's democracy, Deutsch. Mr. That's... White, he's got a gun. I'm not afraid of his gun. Why do I shoot you down like a dog? Go ahead, shoot me down. Shoot! Yeah, that's it, Lord. Oh, it couldn't be. How did it happen? Oh, fools that you are. Search every inch of the island. Find him, do you understand? Find him or you suffer. There's something wrong. Kent has escaped. Yowie! Quiet! How did that happen? I can't understand it. Hunt said you overpowered all ten of my men. It's impossible. They were armed to the teeth. I'll find Kent and bring him here. He won't suspect me. A good idea, Max. All right, call up the search room. I'll handle it alone. Yes. But first, we must get rid of these two. I will have to put in a cell under armed guards. This time, there will be no escape. Hello, <coughs> Hunt. Send up two men at once. Call up the search for Kent. Never mind the reason. Do as I say. Call all your men back into the tunnel. How? What have you a signal bell for? Now, ring it at once. Now, Max. The coast will be clear for you. As the clanging bell summons Deutsch's men back into the narrow, man-made tunnels at Honeycomb the Volcano, Clark Kent, having escaped the trap set for him, has returned to the beach where he left Jimmy, Editor White, and Lewis, only to find them gone. Off in the distance, he can hear the bell echoing from the jagged cliffs. But at the moment, his only concern is the whereabouts of his friend. Jimmy? Mr. White, where are you? Oh, 
Sure, this is where I left them. I remember that big boulder. Mr. White! Lewis! They're gone. I wonder if they've waded back to the plane. Ken! Who's that? calling me. Ken! Over here! Find the boulder! Lewis! Wait, Scott, man, what happened? Where's Jimmy and Mr. White? They attacked us, Kent. What? Let us through a tunnel. I broke away in the dark and managed to crawl down here. They took White and the boy into a room at the end of the tunnel. Show me where it is. I'll go in after them. So we'll both go, Kent. I managed to hold on to my gun. We may need it. Uh, the tunnel's up this way. All right. I can't get over the feeling that Deutsch was tipped off, that we were flying to the island. How could he have been? Only four of us knew. Now, here's the mouth of the tunnel. I'd better lead the way. All right. Are you sure this is the right tunnel, Lewis? Of course I'm sure. You told me you broke away in the dark. This tunnel is illuminated. Shh. They might hear us. Now, here. Stand back a little. I'll press the button that opens this stone door. Good work. All right, Kent. Step inside. And don't try anything. I've got the gun in your back. I suspected something like this, Lewis. Nobody's interested in what you suspected. Get inside. Okay. Ah, greetings, Herr Kent. Close the door, Doctor. Yes. Oh, Herr Kent, again we meet. It is my pleasure, my extreme pleasure. Deutsch, I'm not going to fool with you this time. You've gone a little too far. What have you done with Mr. White and Jimmy Olsen? White and the boy are safe, Kent. Believe me. I wouldn't believe a word that passed your lips, Louis. Well, Deutsch, where are they? You see this lever, Herr Kent? The moment I pull it, the cell block in which your two friends are being held will flood with water from the sea, and they will drown like rats. Is that what you wish to do? He'll do it, Kent. Be careful. All right. You've saved your skin with another of your murderous devices, but only temporarily. That will be for me to decide. You remember, Kent, I told you when we first met that nothing would be allowed to stand in the way of my master plan. Is the plan ready here, Doctor? Yes. We have enough radium. It is now being packed in capsules. What will be done with the capsules? I see no harm in telling you now, Max. You see this instrument on my desk? It resembles a miniature cannon, eh? Hidden in the lead barrel is a capsule containing one-tenth of a grain of radium. One-tenth of a grain, mind you. Smaller than the head of a pin. Yet powerful enough to melt this whole island into the sea. But how, Herr Doctor? I will tell you how, Max. Radium, like all substances, is made up of atoms. In steel, they give it strength. In wood, the ability to flow. But in radium, Max, they give it power. The power to destroy. But how can that power be used? Watch, Max. And you, Herr Kent. I point the little cannon at the glass pitcher across the room. Turn the switch. <coughs> Wunderbar. The pitcher explodes into a million fragments. You have seen enough to convince you that here is the greatest weapon man has created. Within 48 hours, one of my little cannons containing not one-tenth of a grain of radium, but two full ounces, will be floating down on the city of London, destroying everything in its path. That's what you think, Deutsch. Stand back, Kent, or I pull the lever. Stand back. Not a chance. You're at the end of your rope. Shoot him, Max. Shoot him, I say. Don't touch that lever, Deutsch. I will. I warned you, Deutsch. Now you'll suffer for it. Get... Ah. Kent, pull that lever back before the cell blocks destroyed it. Won't come back. It's jammed. Where's the cell block? Tell me quick. In the tunnel beneath this one. There's a ladder, but you're too late, Kent. The water's pouring in. Press the button that opens that door. Hurry. Okay. 
It's suicide, Ken. Don't do it. Might be suicide for you, Lewis. Not for Superman. Ah, this must be the ladder. Yeah, I can hear the water rushing through the tunnel. I hope I'm not too late. Oh, it's coming through here like a mill race. Most of the cells are flooded. I can't possibly tell which one they're in. What's that? Someone calling for help. Up this way. Good thing it's dark down here. Oh, better use Kent's voice. Where are you, Mr. White? Over here. Over here. Hold on, I'm coming. The cell's filling up. Don't worry. I get these iron bars out of the way. That does it. Now, where's Jimmy? I've got him. He stuck his head when the first rush of water came through. All right, hold on to me. Now, we've got to swim for it. Water's over our head. We'll never make it. Never. We'll make it. Come on. Well, you naval men are the last people I ever expected to see in Deutsch's headquarters here on Volcano Island, Lieutenant. How did you get here? Mr. Kent, the island is ringed with destroyers and coast guard cutters in charge of your friend, Commander Lee. We've rounded up all of Deutsch's gang, including the mastermind himself, who's aboard the commander's own destroyer. But how, how did you know about the island? Who tipped you off? Oh, Commander Leeds has known about it for some time. What? Mr. Lewis made all arrangements for the final stroke. Lewis? He's one of Deutsch's men. He's a dirty spy. Well, he brought us here at the point of a gun, Lieutenant. Well, maybe you'd better answer these ac- accusations yourself, Mr. Lewis. Uh, gladly, Lieutenant. Kent, I'm sorry I had to mislead you, but it was the only way I could assure Deutsch I was working for him. I was the boss you were trying to locate. You see, Kent, I had to do it that way in order to be on the inside and learn the details of Deutsch's master plan. And Commander Leeds knew all about this, Lieutenant? Yes, he knew Lewis was posing as one of Deutsch's men, Kent, but that information couldn't be revealed to anyone. However, it's all over now, so let's get aboard ship where Commander Leeds can thank you personally for everything you've done. Your country is proud of you, Mr. Kent. And so am I, Kent. How you ever managed to get Jimmy and myself out of that flooded cell will always be a mystery to me. Superman couldn't have done better. And so, another Superman adventure ends with Dr. Deutsch's espionage ring completely broken. But even as Mr. White, Jimmy, and Kent are returning to the mainland on a government destroyer, a new adventure is brewing. An adventure that will take Clark Kent deep into the snowbound forest of the North Country. So be with us again next time to begin the story of Superman and the White Plague. A story of mystery in the frozen North. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Behold my Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here. Uh-huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, with an exclusive loot box of prizes delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude. Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Yeehoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media dot U-S forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, did You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. 
up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman, strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, then steal in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. It begins far from the familiar haunts of civilization, far from the streetcars and telephones and electric lights of this modern age. It begins in the deep, snowbound forest of the frozen north, where strong men battle the unyielding elements, so that we may have wood for our ships and our houses, wood for our tables and our toys. The ring of axe blades is sharp and clear, and the lusty cry of timber heralds the crashing to earth of another forest giant. Day in and day out, fair weather and foul, men pour out of logging camps to pit their strength against the mammoth trees that tower above them, afraid of nothing that lives and breathes, afraid of nothing but the mysterious legend of the North Woods, the legend of the White Plague. Nightfall has come to the Bartlett logging camp on the Big Beaver. The cold, whipping tail of a northeast blizzard lashes at the cluster of cabins. But inside the camp office, the two men who are seated at the broad fireplace find warmth and comfort in the crackling flames. The older of the two raises his iron-gray head. Speak up, Gaston. What's on your mind? Must be something mighty important to get you out in this kind of weather. It is very important what I've come to say. Well, then, speak up. Sir Harmon, I've come to say that I quit the job. I go back to Quebec. You want to quit? Why? I've got to quit. Because of the white plague. Don't be a superstitious fool, Gaston. I gave you credit for more sense. There's no such thing as the white plague. We, oui, we. Oui. She come to Big Beaver. She killed Jacques Dupre and the Swede. She killed me next. Now take it easy, Gaston. Dupre stepped into a bear trap. Froze to death before we could find him. Svensson killed himself with his own axe in a drunken stupor. No, no, no. The white plague. Now listen to me, Gaston. You're one of my best men. I was going to give you a raise in pay next month and let you handle a selling crew. But I can't do it if you go haywire anytime something happens in the camp. This is tough work, Gaston, and it takes tough men to handle it. Uh, nowhere in all Northwood is any man tougher than Gaston Lebois. But nothing can stop White Plague. I will be next. What you need is a good night's sleep, Gaston. We'll talk it over in the morning, eh? Go on back to your cabin and don't worry. I'll fix everything. But, Monsieur Armand, I tell you, I've got to quit. Okay, we'll take care of that. On the way to your cabin, Gaston, stop off and tell Mr. Dawson I'd like to see him. Good night. Nancy? Yes, sir? You'd better turn in. I've got something to talk over with Bill Dawson. Has anything gone wrong, Dad? I couldn't help overhearing what Gaston said. It's nothing but logging camp superstition, Nancy. Just because we lost two men in the last week, these ignorant fools think the camp is cursed. We'll scotch it. We'll scotch it fast. I hope nothing else happens. Nothing serious, I mean. You never can tell in this business. But don't you fret about it. Uh, poor kid, you have no right to be stuck up here in the woods a million miles from nowhere. Oh, I don't mind, Dad. I know you don't, but it still isn't right. Well, another month or so, and I'll have enough to set you up in Seattle for at least a year. Oh, but I wouldn't want to leave you here alone, Dad. 
Don't worry about me. Hey, shut that doorbell before we freeze to death. Good evening, Mr. Dawson. You'll excuse me, I've got some sewing to do. Go right ahead, Nancy. Sorry I had to drag you out, Bill. But something important come up. Pull the chair up to the fire. Thanks. Worries me now. Not going to let up, either. This fire helps. Gaston was in to see me. I figured as much. He's quitting. Do you know about it? Yeah, Kurt Travers told me. The white plague's got the knuck. Gets them all when the snow comes. Never seen it to fail. We've got to talk him out of it. We've got to convince him this white plague is just so much nonsense. Is it? What do you mean? We rigged up pretty good stories about Dupree and Swenson. How one got caught in a bear trap, how the other did himself in with his axe, but... Nancy don't know what really happened. Neither do I, Mr. Harmon. Now look, Bill. Don't you go back on me. You don't have to worry about me. Then why all this strange talk? Because strange things have been happening. I told you where I found Dupree. In the crotch of a tree. A tree no man could climb without spikes. And he wasn't wearing them. Yes, yes, I know. I've been logging a long time, Mr. Harmon. I bossed the toughest crew ever to swing axes up in Manitoba. Wherever I've logged, the minute the snow lays deep, there's talk of the white plague. But you know it's just talk. Sometimes I wonder. When you find a man frozen in the river ice like we found the Swede, I wonder. He was drunk. He fell into the water. I wonder. What was that? Timberwolf. They're getting thick and hungry. Deep snow drives them closer to camps. We'll have to set traps. Now, look, Dawson. You've got to stick by me. We've got a footage schedule. We must meet 50,000 feet of hardwood before December 1st. We can't afford to lose a man now. I know, but if one more peculiar thing happens, they'll beat it out of here like rats from a sinking ship. You can count on that. Well, then it's our job to see that nothing happens. I wish it was as easy as all that. Loggers are a funny lot. They risk their necks every day in the week. But try and get one to walk under a ladder. Or let a black cat cross in front of them, nothing doing. Listen. Now, that wasn't no timber wolf. Listen. Come on, that's a human voice. Be right back, Nancy. It came from up near those cabins. The wind carried it. Are you sure it wasn't a wolf? Positive. Wolf howl. That was a scream. I heard it twice. Look, the men are coming out of their cabins. Who's that up ahead? Kirk Travers. He bumps with Gaston. Travers, hold up. Come on, Mr. Harmon. What happened, Travers? Who screamed? Must have been Gaston. Gaston? Yeah, he come into the cabin, took a drink, and then stepped out again. Next thing I heard the scream. Where is he? I don't know. He was right outside the cabin when he let loose with them screams, and now he's gone. Dawson, we've got to find him. We've got to. Mr. Kent, I can't wait to get there. I haven't been able to sleep a wink since we got on the train. How do you ever expect to wield a seven-pound axe if you don't sleep, Jimmy? Oh, they won't let me handle an axe. Is it a real honest-to-goodness logging camp, Mr. Kent? Uh-huh. Real as they make them. Full of logs and lumberjacks. What's the name of it? I don't think it has a name, but it's on the Big Beaver River. Walter Bartlett, a friend of Mr. White, owns it, together with a few others further north. Do they know we're coming, Mr. Kent? Well, of course they do. Mr. Bartlett wired the camp. 
Jimmy, haven't I answered those questions before? Oh, sure, but I'd just like to hear about it. Why, you little... Oh, <laughs> cut it out. <laughs> Clark Kent. Clark Kent. Oh, there's a telegram for you, Mr. Kent. Right here, Conductor. Mr. Kent? That's right. And we picked this up at the last time. Oh, thank you. I wonder what it is. Well, we'll find out in a moment. That's a fine kettle of fish. What is it, Mr. Kent? Who's it from? From Mr. White. Listen to this. Suggest you return. Just heard from camp. Trouble there. Trouble? Yeah. What can he mean? I don't know, but this is a nice time to tell us about it. We get off at the next station. Do we have to go back, Mr. Kent? Yeah, I'm afraid so, Jim. Orders are orders. Oh, hang it all. I knew something would happen. Ah, take it easy, Jim. We may get a chance to visit the camp, at least for a day. There's no train back until late tomorrow. Well, we train for San Marino, California, Great River. That's our station, Jimmy. Grab your bag. No, okay. Hey, you forgot that brand new red and black lumber jacket. Oh, I won't need it now. <laughs> you never can tell. Here, catch. Come on. Oh, it sure is cold out here on the platform. <laughs> You're up north, Jimmy. Hey, is that all there is to... What's the name of the place? Montville. It means Mountain City. Is that all there is to it? Those couple of shacks? Yep, that's all. I told you there were no movies or ice cream parlors. Ooh. All right, train stopped. Off you go. And don't slip. What? There we are. What's he yelling for? Nobody got on. What's <laughs> the habit, I guess. All right, come on, Jimmy. Let's see whether we can hire a sled or a dog team and ride out to the camp. Let's say hello. Well, I suppose that's better than nothing. Guys, wouldn't you know if something would happen? Just keep saying that one word and cracking his whip at the dogs, Mr. Kent. What's it mean? It means forward or go on. He's telling the dogs to move faster. Is he French? French-Canadian, sort of half and half. Boy, I'm sure glad I wore my lumber jacket. That wind is plenty cold. Yes, seems to be picking up. The man who got this dog sled and driver for us said there might be a blizzard. How far have we got to go? Another five miles. Oh, this is swell fun, Mr. Kent. Oh, there he goes again. I guess that's all he knows how to say. He hasn't spoken a word to us since we left. Well, uh, Canucks aren't very talkative. What's he stopping for? I don't know. He's getting something out of his pack. A rifle. Gosh. Uh-oh. I see why he stopped. Look over there. Where? Oh, I see. Gray dogs. No, Jimmy. Timber wolves. Listen to them. Aren't they dangerous, Mr. Ken? Oh, he'll scare them off with a few shots. He's aiming now. Why doesn't he shoot? His rifle's jammed. It won't fire. Look, Mr. Kent, the wolves, they're coming closer. Now, don't worry, Jimmy. There must be 50 of them. They're spreading out, circling around. He wants us to get out of the sled, Jimmy. Hurry. He's hiding the dogs behind the sled. What do we do, Mr. Kent? Get down, Jimmy. Down low. What will Jimmy and Kent and their Canuck sled driver do in the face of this sudden danger? The wolves are mad with hunger, ready to close in. Can Superman fight them all off at once? Listen again for another thrilling episode in this exciting story of the frozen north. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. 
Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Famed visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings of a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. To kill two birds with one stone, Clark Kent planned a well-earned vacation at a logging camp deep in the North Woods, where he hoped to gather material for a story. Jimmy Olsen was accompanying him. However, less than five minutes before their train arrived at the town nearest the camp, Kent received a telegram from his editor, Perry White, telling him to return because of trouble at the camp. Since there was no southbound train until the following evening, Kent and Jimmy hired a dog sled and a driver and started for the logging camp just to pay it a visit. En route, a pack of lean, hungry wolves attacked the sled and circled it, howling ravenously. Get down, Jimmy. Crouch down low. There's no room behind the sled. The driver's got the dog huddled there. What's he going to do, Mr. Kent? Trying to get his rifle to work. It's jammed. I get the chills just listening to them howl. Look at that one. He's creeping in close on his belly. Well, they're after the dogs. That's what they want. Well, they don't look very choosy. Why doesn't that driver say something or do something? There's nothing he can do unless that gun of his gets working. Look out, that wolf. He's after the dog. Be out! I chased him back. Oh, but not far enough. Do wolves eat people, Mr. Kent? I don't think so. But, but you're not sure. Now, don't you worry, Jimmy. Oh, I'm not worried. Just a little nervous. They're all crawling on their bellies now. Their teeth. He's not going to get that gun fixed in time. I know he's not. Keep your head, Jimmy. You've got work to do. I'm going to send you and the driver home to the logging camp. What do you mean? I'll keep the wolves here with that big juicy steak we were taking out as a gift for Mr. Hart and the camp boss. They won't leave with a smell of fresh meat around. Here. This must be the package. Now, climb back into the sled. No, I won't go without you. Do as I say. Driver! Get in the sled. Drive to camp. Fast. Come, Friday. Please. Right. Off you go. Mr. Kent, please. Please. Let's see whether that slab of meat will hold them. Now, take a look at this, you beggars. Get a good whip. That's working. They're not following the sled. It's out of sight now. Superman can take over. All right, go ahead. Hold your heads off. I've never tackled 50 wolves before, but there's always the first time. Come and get it. Nice, juicy beef steak. Ha <laughs> like the looks of it, don't you? Come on, a little closer. A little more. That's it. Now! Oh, no, you don't. Finish. Yeah, that does it. Well, that's one. Now for the rest. Oh, getting ready to charge me all at once, eh? Okay, I'm waiting. I'm ready for you. Come on. Three. Four. Five. Come on, keep coming. Seven. Are you sure you won't have a hot cup of milk, Jimmy? No, thanks, Miss Harmon. Now, look, Jimmy, you mustn't eat your heart out worrying. My father's gone to look for Mr. Kent with some of his best men. Buck up. Well, they'll never find him. There were 50 wolves. Oh, I'm sure there couldn't have been that many. But I tell you, there were. They were in a circle. Mr. Kent stood there holding up the piece of meat. 
I could see them coming in closer to get it. Jenny, please. <laughs> Crying won't help. You're much too big a boy to cry. <laughs> You'd cry, too, if you had a friend like Mr. Kent. You knew you were never going to see him again. <laughs> Who could that be? How do you do? Well, Mr. Kent. Hello, Jim. Won't you come in? Thank you. Mr. Kent, they didn't... They didn't... They didn't eat me, if that's what you're trying to say. I told Jimmy there weren't 50 in the pack, and that they rarely attack humans. I'm Nancy Harmon, and I assume you're Mr. Kent. Oh, but there were 50, maybe more. Isn't that right, Mr. Kent? Uh, more or less. I'm glad to meet you, Miss Harmon. Jimmy, have you been crying? Oh, no. His eyes are just inflamed from the snow. Oh, I see. Where did my father pick you up, Mr. Kent? Uh, your father? Yes. When the dog sled pulled in and Jimmy told us what had happened, Dad and two of his men went out after you. Oh, well, uh, I guess I missed them. Well, how'd you get here? Well, I, I walked. They tell some tall stories in the Northwoods, Mr. Kent, but I think you can go them one better. Paul Bunyan couldn't have walked five miles that fast, and they say each step he took measured a hundred yards. Gosh, just like Superman. And who is Superman? <laughs> some unbelievable pal of Jimmy's who can fly through the air with the greatest of ease. I'm sorry I missed your father, Miss Harmon. He should be back shortly. Will you have something hot to drink? No, thanks. Uh... I'll take that milk and cake now, if you've still got it. <laughs> of course I have. Be right back. Oh, I'm sure glad to see you, Mr. Kent. How'd you ever get away from those wolves? Well, they preferred beefsteak to Clark Kent, that's all. Can't say that I blame them. No, you did get here awful fast. Oh, I must have taken a shortcut. Here you are, Jimmy. Chocolate cake and milk. Mmm, thanks a lot. Won't you sit down, Mr. Kent? Oh. Take Dad's chair near the fire. It's very comfortable. Uh, it sure is. Well, I suppose Jimmy told you what brought up here. Yes. You see, Dad thought it best to wire Mr. Bartlett and tell you not to come. Because we've been having a little trouble in camp. What sort of trouble? Well, I don't like to talk about it, but it's quite serious. Perhaps I can help. Very kind of you, but I'm afraid there's nothing you can do. Oh, I'm sorry our wire didn't reach you in time. Oh, that's quite all right. Jimmy and I enjoyed the train ride, didn't we, Jim? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the chocolate cake talking. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, Miss Harmon, are you sure I can't be of any assistance? I don't think so. You see, Mr. Kent... Logging camps are strange places. What do you mean? Well, oh, I guess I might just as well tell you. I'm not supposed to know exactly what's happened, but I do. We've had some mysterious, I suppose you'd call them accidents at the camp, Mr. Kent. Accidents? Yes, in a way. We've lost three men in a little over a week. I don't quite understand. You mean three men left the camp? No. No, they were found dead. At least two of them were. The third hasn't been located since the night before last. That's when Dad wired Mr. Bartlett to tell you not to come. I'm sorry to have to admit this, Miss Harmon, but I still don't understand. Two men were found dead and a third is missing? Uh, were these men murdered? No, or... that's just it. We don't know. Now, please, Mr. Kent, when you meet Dad, don't let on that I've told you all this. Well, you really haven't told me anything yet. Oh, I'm coming to the important part. Oh, well, then go on, Miss Harmon. Well, about a week ago, one of our French-Canadian loggers disappeared into thin air. His name was Jacques Dupre. He just vanished like a puff of smoke. Gosh. Searching party combed the woods for him. And the logging boss, Bill Dawson, finally found him. Frozen to death up in the crotch of a tall tree. A tree he couldn't possibly have climbed without spikes. And he had no spikes on. Well, how'd he get up there? Jimmy. That's what puzzled everyone. How did he get up there? Of course, Dad and Mr. Dawson didn't tell the men where he'd been found. They made up some sort of a story that the men knew. What happened to the second man? He vanished, too, the following night. What? He was a big Swedish logger, strong as an ox. Mr. Dawson found him frozen in the river ice. You mean frozen solid? Jimmy, you must keep quiet. You said something about a third man, Miss Harmon. Yes. 
Gaston, another French-Canadian, he came in the night before last to talk to Dad. Yes? He wanted to quit because of the white plague. The what? Well, loggers have a strange superstition, Mr. Kent. They believe that when the snow is deep enough to cover all the roots of a tree and the bottom of the trunk, that no tree should be cut down. They think it's nature's way of protecting the tree until spring, and no man has a right to go against nature. Oh, that's very curious. I've never heard it before. Of course, it's silly, but some loggers will swear that if trees are felled when snow covers the roots, the white plague visits the camp. What is the white plague? What does it do? They say it punishes men who go against nature. Oh, I see. And Gaston wanted to quit because he was afraid of the white plague, the plague that had carried off the first two loggers. That's right. Well, Dad told him to get a good night's sleep, and he left. Mr. Dawson came in, and Dad was chatting with him when suddenly someone screamed outside. Dad and Mr. Dawson rushed out. It was a bad blizzard. What do you think they found? What? Jimmy. They found Gaston had vanished from sight in front of his cabin, and he hasn't been found since. Oh, gosh. That gives me the creeps. Well, I suppose all the loggers want to quit. Yes, and it's terrible because we've been cutting wood for the government, and it's needed badly. Dad's been out of his mind for days. Mm, you said you had trouble, Miss Harmon. You put it mildly. And what does the logging boss, Mr. Dawson, say about all this? Well, he's sticking by Dad, naturally, but I have a funny feeling he believes there's something to this white plague business. The other night I heard him say he wonders about it. And what do you think? I don't know. First, well, I thought it was just silly superstition, like breaking a mirror or spilling salt, but now, now I'm puzzled. It's like being in a dark room and knowing that nobody else is in the room with you and yet feeling that you're not alone. I guess that doesn't sound very sensible. You mean like a ghost? Don't be silly, Jimmy. You know there's no such thing as a ghost. So, Miss Harmon, you really feel there may be something to the white plague. Oh, no. It... Oh, I'm sure it's just nonsense, but when things keep happening, strange things, it sort of gets you. Yes, I understand. I'm not afraid or anything. But... What's that? Someone's at the door. Come in. That's funny. Here, wait. You better let me open the door. Be careful, Mr. Kent. Why, it's a man on the verge of collapse. Gaston! Catch him, Mr. Kent! I got him. Close the door, Jimmy. All right. Put him on the couch. All right. Here we are. He's blue with cold. I'll get some brandy. Rub his wrist. Mr. Kent, is he alive? Uh, bring me that blanket, Jimmy. All right. This one? Yes. That's it. Thanks. Here's the brandy, Mr. Kent. I'm afraid it won't do any good, Miss Harmon. You mean... Yes. He just drew his last breath. Mystery piled on mystery. Where did Gaston return from? So exhausted that death reached him almost as his frozen knuckles wrapped against the door. Did the strange secret of the white plague die on his lips? This is only the beginning of an Northwoods adventure more gripping than anything you have ever heard before. Don't miss even one thrilling episode. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, 
Superman! Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, then steal in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. Arriving at the Bartlett logging camp deep in the North Woods, Clark Kent and young Jimmy Olsen have run into a baffling mystery. They found the camp under the spell of a strange superstition, a superstition of the frozen north, a belief that whoever cuts down a tree whose roots are covered with snow will suffer the vengeance of the White Plague. Thus far, two lumberjacks have been found dead under curious circumstances, and a third, after vanishing into thin air, staggered back to the office of the camp boss only to draw his last breath before he could utter a word. At the moment, a dangerous undercurrent of fear is running through the camp. The loggers go about their work uneasily, waiting and wondering where the white plague will strike next. Fred Harmon, boss of the camp, is beside himself with anxiety, and his daughter Nancy is suffering because of her father's state of mind. Bill Dawson, tough, broad-shouldered boss of the logging crew, is driving his men on despite their unrest. We find Dawson, together with Kent and Jimmy, some miles from the camp, watching a crew of a dozen burly lumberjacks chopped their way through a stand of towering oak. The ring of axe blades against live wood is sharp and clear on the frosty air. Gosh, look at those chips fly, Mr. Kent. They certainly can swing those axes. They sure can, Jimmy. How long does it take to chop through one of those oaks, Mr. Dawson? Two good men can fill a three-foot trunk in eight to ten minutes. Look, that big one's beginning to sway. Watch. See? Boy, look at that. That makes 17. Must be pretty near time to now go for lunch. I'll tell the men. Be back in a minute. All right. Well, Jimmy, what do you think of logging? Oh, it's exciting, all right, but I don't know... You don't know what? I don't know whether I'd be keen on doing it for a living. Oh, it's too cold. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be cold if you were swinging one of those 10-pound double-edged axes. Look at that short, dark man over there, the one in the green shirt. He's actually perspiring. I know, but doesn't it ever get warm up here? Oh, I imagine it's warm in the summertime. Well, Mr. Kent, why do they yell timber every time a tree falls? Well, for the same reason they yell four in a golf game before they hit the ball. It's to warn everyone in the way that a tree is about to topple. Otherwise, some logger who happens to have his back turned might be hurt when the tree crashes down. Oh, did you say hurt? Mm-hmm. Gosh, if one of those trees ever fell on a man, he'd end up in China. Yes, it's a dangerous business, Jimmy. But a very important one. Look at that big oak, the one they just felled. Do you know how old it is? Mm, about ten years. Oh, that tree, Jimmy, must be 300 years old if it's a day. Are you kidding, Mr. Kent? No. Oaks grow very slowly, and that size tree probably was an acorn long before George Washington was born. Gosh, I never knew trees lived that long. Oh, there are some trees, mahogany and teak, that are estimated to be a thousand years old. Well, how is it then that the forests aren't overgrown with trees? Hmm? How is it that before people started to cut them down, the whole world wasn't just a lot of trees? Well, most of the world consisted of trees and bushes before the Ice Age, Jimmy. Oh. Well, what was the Ice Age? Well, that was a time thousands of years ago when great layers of ice slid down from the north and covered many of the forests and killed the trees off. That's the reason we have coal. Oh, what's coal got to do with it? You mean the kind of coal you burn in a stove? Uh-huh. 
Oh, now, wait a minute, Mr. Kent. Miners dig that out of the ground. Well, that's right, but that same coal the miners dig used to be the trees that were buried under the ice. Huh? Well, you see, Jim, the weight of the ice forced the wood together, and a chemical change came over it because it was buried so deep, and it turned into coal. Honest, Mr. Kent? Uh Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, in Arizona, there's a place called the Petrified Forest. There, the trees either weren't very deep enough, or there wasn't sufficient pressure, and instead of turning into coal, they turned into stone. If we ever have to take a trip out west, we'll stop by and see it. Strange how much you don't know, Mr. Kent. How much I don't know? No, I mean how much everyone doesn't know. For instance, something like this, how trees turned into coal. I'll bet not one kid back in Metropolis knows that. Oh, I'm sure there are plenty of them who do. Oh, you wait and see. When I get back, I'll ask them. Chances are even their fathers don't know. And take a kid like Skinny Walsh. His pops a motorman on the streetcar line. And I'll wager even he doesn't know. <laughs> we can all learn a lot of things day in and day out, Jimmy. Ours is a wonderful country. If more of us got to know it better, we'd learn to appreciate it. The Grand Canyon, the Rocky Mountains, the Mississippi River. No country in the world has so much to offer. Oh, here comes Mr. Dawson. I hope that basket he's carrying has our lunch in it. I could eat a bear. <laughs> You'd have to catch him first, and that might spoil your appetite. Sorry, I kept you waiting so long, but the men ate themselves today. Had to perk them up a little. How about putting on the feed bag? Oh, that's all I've been waiting to hear. <laughs> well, there's plenty of it. When Nancy Harmon sets up a lunch, nobody goes hungry. She set this one up special. Venison sandwich, son? Oh, what's venison? Deer meat, Jimmy. Oh. Well, gee, I don't know. Well, yeah, you said you could eat a bear. It's tender as chicken. Okay, I'll try it. Mr. Kent? Thanks. Well, Jimmy, like it? Mmm. Mmm, it's swell. Mm-hmm. It certainly is. You have fresh meat up here all winter, Mr. Dawson? Mm-hmm. We tried it. It was to be had. Mm-hmm. Living on salt pork and jerk beef for a spell makes you relish a piece of fresh meat. <laughs> hey, chew it, Jimmy. This isn't a race to see who can get the sandwich down first. Mm-hmm. Well, the boy's hungry. This is what does it. Hey, I, uh... I haven't had a chance to ask you, Mr. Dawson, and I hope you don't mind my bringing it up. Well, but, uh, what do you think about this white plague business? I try not to think about it, Kent. Well, I can appreciate that, but there must be some explanation for all that's happened. That French-Canadian, Gaston, where was he for two days and two nights? He certainly couldn't have lived through that blizzard out in the open. It don't seem likely, does it? Yet he was alive when he staggered to the door of the camp office. Didn't speak a word, did he? No. I put him on the couch while Miss Harmon went for some brandy. By the time she got back, he was dead. Too bad he couldn't have told what happened. It is too bad. Because that might have explained everything. Of course, I know you don't believe the white plague superstition. If you did, you wouldn't have let the men cut those trees this morning. That uh, last one, for instance, had snow piled around the trunk three feet high. Another sandwich, son? Well, if there is one. There are plenty of them. Thanks, Mr. Dawson. There are only two possible solutions to the mystery, Dawson. Either the deaths were accidental, or... Or what? Or someone's trying to throw a scare into the camp, for one reason or another. Could it be any of your men? That don't make sense, Mr. Kent. They earn their living logging. Say, what's that man running taught us for? Something's wrong. Kurt Travers never ran a step in his life unless he was being chased. What is it, Travers? You better come, Mr. Dawson. What happened? You'll see. The men are all gathered around a tree stump. No, Jimmy, you stay here. Oh, gee, I... I said stay here. Is this a joke, Travers? No, it ain't no joke. All right, stand back. Look, one of your men doubled up on the ground. Sam Green. He's stone's dead. It's a white flag, that's what it is. Shut up. 
How'd this happen, driver? I don't know. He was sitting on the stump eating when suddenly he keeled over. It was him and me fell that last tree. Ah, the white plate's got him. I'll floor the next man who opens his mouth about the white plate. Sam had a heart attack. He was strong as an ox. Well, then maybe a rattler bit him. Sure, sure, that's what it is. Rattler struck him on the calf, right above the top of his boot. All right, break it up. Ken, give me a hand, will you? Sure. Carry him back to the chuck sled. Yep. Come on. There we are. That's it. Gosh, Mr. Kent, what happened? Get out of the way, Jimmy. Is he sick? There we are. Okay, Ken. Up on the sled. Okay. I'll cover him with this blanket. All right. I think you and the boy had better drive right back to camp. I'll stick around and talk to the man. Sure, all right. Will I be able to find the camp? You can't miss it. It's the logging trail, and the snow's packed hard. Oh. The horse will lead you. He's pulled that chuck sled over the trail a hundred times. I'll hit him up. What's Good. the matter with the man, Mr. Kent? I, he, uh, he had a heart attack. Gosh. Is he... Is he... Yes. Oh, gosh. All set, Mr. Kent? All right, come on, Jimmy. When you get to camp, Mr. Kent... Drive around back to the office. Yes, I will. All right, Jimmy, up on the seat. Just follow the trail and keep it a walk, or old John will slip. Okay. Get up. Gosh, Mr. Kent, do you think this will make things worse? What do you mean, Jim? Well, about the, the white plague. Oh, I'm surprised at you, Jimmy. Oh, I don't believe all that stuff about the white plague, Mr. Kent. It does seem funny. What seems funny? Well, that fellow was the one in the green shirt. The one who was perspiring. Yes? Remember that last big tree that was cut down just before the men knocked off for lunch? What are you driving at? That fellow in the green shirt was the one who chopped that big tree down. And it was the only tree that had a snowdrift around the bottom of the trunk. Oh, now, don't let your imagination run away with you, Jimmy. Two men were working on that tree, and one of them is still perfectly all right. Well, you can't tell. Now, what sort of sense does that make? You can't tell. I mean, something might happen to him yet. You certainly are cheerful about it. This is going to be terrible for poor Mr. Harmon and Nancy. Gosh, I hate to think of it. Well, then don't. How can I help it? Last night, that French-Canadian came stumbling in. I know all about it, Jimmy. Is there anything else you can discuss? The weather or the price of beans? All right. Now, you don't have to sulk. The only reason I don't want you to talk about it is that I think we're going to solve the mystery. You mean the mystery of the White Plague? That's right. Do you know what it is? Well, take it easy. No, I don't know what it is, but... What, what was that? Drop down, Jimmy. Drop down. Someone's shooting at us with a rifle. Hold it. Hold it. Oh. Where's it coming from, Mr. Kent? From those woods over there to the right. Keep blowing behind me. I heard that bullet whiz by. I can't see anyone. The horse is getting nervous. We better make a run for it. Stay down, Jim. Be careful, Mr. Kent. Get up. Come on. Get up. Get up. Breaking into a gallop, the frightened horse drags the careening sled over the hard-packed trail. The steel-jacketed bullets sing around Kent's ears. Who is shooting at them? And how is it that Kent, even with his amazing vision, is unable to see the killer? The mystery is deepening, so don't miss a single thrilling episode. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman! Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash Silver Age Heroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Excelsior!